Good morning. It is good to be back with you. We were in Fallbrook at my mom and dad's on Thanksgiving, and then we went up to beautiful Fresno for three days for the state cross-country championships for two of my kids that are in high school, so Michael and Ariana. But anyway, it's great to be back here. It's great to open up God's Word with you. So take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. When you find that, please stand to read God's Word. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Isaiah prophesied around 740 to 700 BC. It was during a decline in Israel amidst powerful Assyrian rule. It was a very low point for Israel amongst many other low points. They were losing, they would be losing more. But they were being warned of coming judgment because of their sin. They weren't listening to what God was saying. And he was declaring to them what would happen, but also in the middle of that, he is declaring to them his sovereign grace. And that's what we're going to read about now. Of a Savior who would come, uh, as Isaiah 53 put it, a man of sorrows who was wounded for our sins. But what we're going to see here is a beautiful picture of grace in the midst of man's sin. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end." On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your beautiful grace in the midst of our sin. Thank you for the hope that your word gives us, Lord. Thank you for your presence here. Lord, have your way with us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The words of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 are so familiar. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So familiar at Christmas like those ornaments we take out once a year and dust off. Applicable all year, necessary all year, but usually only brought out once a year. Most likely you sing or hear these words several times every Christmas season. Handel in his famous Messiah has these words in one of the, its great choruses. They're probably the most familiar Titles for Jesus that people don't know what they mean. These are arguably the most familiar Old Testament prophecies about Christ. But what do they mean? What difference do they make in our life? What, what are they telling us about the Savior and then how we ought to live in response? What does it tell us about Jesus and who He is and what He does? As wonderful counselor and mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. What's the significance? 
Today we're focusing on Jesus as the wonderful counselor. For these next four weeks, though, we'll be exploring these four titles of Jesus. Today, Jesus, the wonderful counselor who tells us what we need to hear. Now, it's great being told what you need to hear, but it isn't always easy to receive because we like to rebel against being told what to do. The sinful nature that is at the root of most of our problems in life rears up and we don't want to be told. Now, one of our number one problems in life is, is not knowing what to do, not having the wisdom to figure out what we are to do. It's You could put it as confusion, general confusion in life. So in addition to the general chaos and resulting conundrums that happen because of our sin, the complexities, the the conspiracies, either real or imagined, that we experience in life, the various conflicts that we engage in on a daily basis, we are generally confused people. We don't often know what to do. Many live in a state of almost constant confusion. Not knowing what they should do, how they should respond. They're like a deer in the headlights. They're like a mouse going through a maze, not knowing which way to turn. Kind of like guys with instruction manuals that are written in different languages than the one they speak. They think they got it. We know we've got it, but then we realize we don't. We're in trouble. We need help. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that we should need help due to the fact that we are sinful and finite and often confused. Many are very confused. Just recently, I was reading that someone who said this, I I wonder, and there's a lot of pain in this, by the way. They said, I wonder if anyone else feels the way I do. If anyone is as scared as I am. Are they as sad and angry as con- and confused and ashamed? Is it even possible that someone else is as worse off as I am? Another person said in a book called House Rules, said, I don't know what he means by that, but I nod and smile at him. You'd be surprised at how far that response can get you in a conversation when you are completely confused. Another writer said, there I was, cold, isolated, and desperate for something I knew I couldn't have. A solution, a remedy, anything. I hated it. Alone and confused was the last place I wanted to be. But somehow I knew I deserved this. The actor Johnny Depp uh, humorously said, I try to stay in a constant state of confusion just because of the expression it leaves on my face. Now, some people like to confuse other people. Salvador Dali said, what is important is to spread confusion, not eliminate it. J.D. Salinger said, it's funny, all you have to do is say something that no one understands, and they'll do practically anything you want them to do. And then one person said, you know, at Starbucks, I like ordering a tall venti in a grand, grande cup. I, I, I messed that up. Because I don't know how to order there. I say, give me a medium, you know. Uh, But if someone orders a tall venti in a grande cup, they're doing it to try to to confuse the person who's serving them. I think it's like asking for a small, large, and a medium cup. Something like that. But the reason for our confusion are many. 
obviously the root idea is that we are sinful, we are finite, we are often confused. But the triggers vary. It could be something big, it could be something small. It could be something very consequential, it could be something relatively simple. It could be general, it could be specific, it just doesn't really matter. We could be confused about politics, about finances, about world events, about wars, about relational issues, about marriage issues, about parenting issues, about health issues, work-related issues, schooling option issues, down to something as mundane as what do you buy someone for Christmas? Or what should I wear to church? Some people get really confused about that. You look like you did a good job with that today, though. Some people are confused whether they should take back all the stuff they bought on on Black Friday. We really need help. We really need help because we're so often confused. And and by the way, counseling is at an all-time high in our society. People are running from doctor to doctor, counselor to counselor. They run from Dr. Phil to Dr. Oz to Dr. Laura. A lot of people go to Dr. Internet because it's all true. They go to doctors and gurus and psychologists and people seek advice. And there's nothing wrong with seeking advice. In fact, the Bible says you should seek advice. The Bible encourages it. But, but don't lose sight of the fact, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have a wonderful counselor that goes beyond all other counselors. See, we need a wonderful counselor. People, whether they're family or friends or professional or or volunteer counselors can lead us astray we need a wonderful counselor the lord jesus christ we're often confused but the idea here is that jesus is the wonderful counselor who will tell you not just what you want to hear but what you need to hear and the reason is so that you would follow him fully that you would love him supremely that you would be devoted to him jesus is the wonderful counselor He is the answer to all of our problems. Now, he was the answer to Israel's problems as well, if they would just listen. But they didn't. Israel was in a state of almost constant confusion at this point in their history. They had been judged, and they they weren't listening. So sandwiched between these prophecies of coming judgment is a word from God regarding what he would do to act on their behalf for good. And he would not be acting only on their behalf, but on ours as well. By the way, it's interesting to note when Isaiah wrote this prophecy. He wrote this prophecy nearly a hundred years before Israel was taken into captivity in Babylon. He wrote this prophecy nearly 600 years before the birth of Christ. He was looking at a long line of failed leaders and then looking down through the centuries to a time when God would rule the world through His Son. He's speaking of a kingdom that would never end. There are a lot of kingdoms of the world. In that day, it was the Assyrian kingdom. It was especially fierce. But even this very moment, there are all the kingdoms of the world are being ruled by human rulers, some good, some bad. But Isaiah is speaking of a time when the government would rest upon the shoulders of the Messiah and that kingdom would have no end. 
Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's go there. Isaiah 9, 6. It begins, for to us, there is a gift of God's grace in the midst of man's sin that is going to be given to us. A child would be born. Points to the Messiah's humanity, that he would be born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those that were under the law. And then a son would be given. In God's grace, a son would be given. This is pointing to Christ's divinity, his his deity. That he would be God incarnate, as Isaiah 7.14 has has foretold, that his name will be called Emmanuel. That Matthew 1.23, in the announcement of Christ's birth, his name will be called Emmanuel, which which translated in Hebrew means from Hebrew means God with us. The son that would be to be given would be God in the flesh. Points us to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. This, Isaiah is saying, the son would be given. And the, and the son that would be given, the child that would be born, would have the government on his shoulders. It, it points to Christ's lordship. His dominion, the dominion would rest on his shoulder. He will shoulder the load and and, and his kingdom will have no end. It will go on forever. He is looking forward through the years to a time that we don't even know yet when everything will be under the dominion of Christ. Hebrews tells us that right now we don't yet see all things put under Christ's feet. Hebrews 2.8 says that God has put all things under his feet, but at this point in time, we have yet to see that come to full fruition. His kingdom, then in totality, but now in an invisible sense, right now the kingdom is in an invisible state, all who acknowledge his lordship, who come to him by grace through faith in Christ, are under his dominion and his rule. But one day... Over everyone he will rule. Isaiah then says his name will be called something. Now if I call out your name, you will turn your head and you will, you will give attention because you know your name, but your name may or may not mean anything. Here these names are, are full of meaning, but it goes beyond that. His name When you say that in Hebrew, what you're saying is everything about him, his entire identity will be recognized, will be called, will be acknowledged, will even be responded to. So he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. These four titles, by the way, the King James has a comma between wonderful and counselor, a comma after wonderful There were no commas in the original Hebrew. This is really pointing to one title, Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called. The totality of his being, his character, his attributes, who he is, shall be called, shall be recognized and realized and responded to like this. See, Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor who gives the wisdom we need to do what God wants us to do. He tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Not all counselors will do that. 
We need a wonderful counselor due to all of our confusion. We need counsel. And all of us seek advice, don't we? Every one of us seeks advice of what to do in certain situations. But who do we go to for that counsel? Who do we ask their advice? And where do they get their advice? Who is informing or what is informing them of what to tell you or me? And why do we ask them? Why do we ask certain people for advice? A lot of questions. But what this, what this idea of Jesus as wonderful counselor points to is some things that we ought to consistently be engaged in. This is for people who say, I'm a, a believer in Jesus. I'm a, a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I would say this. I would say, listen to what we're saying about Jesus. Take that into consideration and then believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But here, this idea is for those who follow him, who say, I am, am in line with Jesus. I'm in league with Jesus. I'm aligned with him. I'm a believer. So what ought believers to do consistently as it relates to Jesus being the wonderful counselor? The first thing is very easy, very simple. It's an easy one to get. Probably the hardest one to do, though. First and foremost, we must seek God's wisdom in Christ. We must seek God's wisdom in Christ. If he is the wonderful counselor, then he's the one with wisdom. In fact, Jesus 1 Corinthians 1 tells us is the wisdom of God. That's why we named our daughter Sophia, Sophia. So she would be reminded her whole life of Jesus, the wisdom of God. In Psalm 32, 8, God says, I'm going to counsel you with my eye upon you. I'm going to give you counsel. James 1 tells us if you lack wisdom, it's, it's very simple what you need to do. You need to ask God and he's going to give you wisdom. And you need to ask in faith, not doubting that God will come through with that wisdom. Don't wonder like, oh, maybe God won't do it because then you won't receive the wisdom. Ask it, not doubting that God can do it and he's going to give you wisdom. We need to seek God's wisdom in Christ. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we know we've got to go to Jesus. We've got to go to Jesus first. You know, Jesus always knew what to say and what to do. If you look at his, his time on earth, he always knew the right thing to say, the right thing to do. And Jesus perfectly understands you. You say, well, no one understands me. No one gets where I'm coming from. Well, Jesus does more than you do. He perfectly understands you. He perfectly cares for you. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's an assurance that you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He's not going to go run and throw you under the bus in front of everyone else and say, how stupid to think that. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And he provides for you. And like I said before, people, family, friends, counselors, they don't always get it right. Jesus always gets it right. Look at Isaiah 11, verse 2. Speaking of the Messiah, it says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So are you seeking the counsel and advice of Jesus in your daily life? 
When I was a kid, before I became a believer in Christ, I did something that I don't agree with today. I didn't know any better then. But even when I got old enough to know better, I still did. When I became a Christian, I I said, okay, this is wrong. You can't do that. But what I did is I consulted my horoscope every day. It was free advice in a way. I didn't pay for the paper. My parents did, and it was in the newspaper. And I would read it every single day to figure out what I should do that day. I'm serious. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's what I did. I was living almost in fear, if you think about it. What if I don't do what it says? It's a superstitious way to live. I know Christians live that way. I know Christians are consulting a lot of things other than God's wisdom. But I would read my horoscope every day and I would follow that. I literally would, my day would be guided by after what I read. Superstitiously living in fear? Oh, I might take a wrong step. I might not do what it said. There's no freedom in that. There's slavery in that. Then there was the day that I got that birthday present. It was in a small box. I didn't know what it was going to be. It was from my Aunt Shirley. Loved my Aunt Shirley. And she said to me, she goes, Mike, I got this for you. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And I, I wanted to keep it for myself. It's so cool. You know that kind of gift? And I opened this box up. And it was a magic eight ball. Oh, man, I hit the jackpot. Oh, yeah, you just had to ask it a question, and then you turn it over, and it, a, a, an answer floats to the surface. As long as it doesn't get stuck, you know, in the corners. Sometimes there were two answers. You had to kind of jiggle it. But I consulted the magic eight ball for far longer than the age category this toy was made for. Let's put it that way. When in doubt, what's your knee-jerk reaction in seeking advice. Where do you go? Who do you go to? What do you listen to? Do you pray first and ask for God's wisdom? Or do you run to the guru of the month? Do you pray to God or do you run to falsehood? Psalm 33, 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. Go to God for wisdom. Go to God for counsel. Don't do what I did. It'll lead you the wrong way. Isaiah 47, 13, God says, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, he says. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you got to go to Jesus Christ Jesus the wisdom and power of God and if you're going to seek God's wisdom in Christ you must go to the word of God you must listen to God's sufficient word his all sufficient word the word of God the scriptures the holy bible look with me at at Isaiah 8 
Isaiah 8, sandwich, this grace word from God is sandwiched between the judgments that were going to come upon them. And the judgment in chapter 8 was the Assyrians were going to invade. The Assyrians were going to overpower them. Isaiah 8, verse 10, take counsel together, it'll come to nothing. Speak a word, it will not stand. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. But I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwell on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, the spiritists who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Really, why should we go to someone who is spiritually dead to tell us how to live in Christ? Now look, God can speak through anyone. God can speak through a a dumb donkey. He'll get his message across. But we need to be listening for God's word. Psalm 119, verse 24. I love that verse. Look that up with me. Psalm 119, verse 24. Remember, I found this when I was in college, and I was, I was blown away by it. I love the verse in Psalm 119 that says, I have more wisdom than my teachers because of your word. And I was going to a, a secular university where the teachers were hating Jesus and the fact that I was standing up for Jesus. So I love the fact that I could read and say, you know what? God knows. I'm holding on to his wisdom. But then, verse 24, it says this. Your testimonies are my delight. Your word is my delight, the psalmist says. They are my counselors. God's word counsels us. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it to the lives of the people of God and brings us wise counsel. His words are our counselors. I go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. You know that there, the name, uh, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Counselor, the Comforter, the Helper. John chapter 14. I love this. Verse 15. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. So here's God the Son saying, I'm going to ask God the Father. And he will give you another Helper another counselor, to be with you forever. He's talking about God, the Holy Spirit. And when you come to faith in Christ, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with you forever. But do you notice what Jesus said? He will give you another counselor? Because Jesus is the wonderful counselor. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our counselor. Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. We've got to go to God's sufficient word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says all scripture is breathed by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, all the things a biblical counselor ought to be doing with the word of God, with people. 
Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I don't know which way to go, the word of God lights the way, shows the way, points the way. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It says it discerns our thoughts and our motives, the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We've got to go and listen to God's sufficient word because it's smarter than us. God knows more than us. So the question becomes, are we merely Bible readers or are we hearers and doers? A lot of people just read their Bible. Oh, I just did day 84 of the E100. Check. Now I can get on to more important things. How many times have, if you're doing the E100, were you like me a couple, uh, this last week? Oh, man, they want me to read six chapters. Really? So we're going uh, to complain about reading the Bible. Think about it. How crazy that is. That's why I Facebooked, we had the privilege today of reading six chapters in the book of Acts. You know what we do, even as as born-again believers with the word of God, and how we discount it and say, it's not exciting enough, I want to get on to something else, I want to go watch a movie, or go shopping, or whatever, but let me get rid of, let me get done with this, so I can get on to my other things. We've got to listen to God's sufficient word. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So whatever he's doing, he's thinking about the word of God. He's rolling it over in his mind. He's letting the word of God collide into all the things in his life and overtake So he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in everything he does he prospers. I want to be that man. Are you reading your Bible daily? Are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you're reading to be led by the Holy Spirit? Are you confessing your sins? It's interesting, James 1 tells us that we were bought, excuse me, brought forth by the word of truth. That God, through his word, preaches the gospel of the grace of God in Christ to us. And when we, by faith in Christ, come into a relationship with Christ, we are being brought forth by the word of truth. And then it says that we are to be quick to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to anger. And sadly, many of us take those, those three things, quick to quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger and say that's good advice for relationships in context it's be in a hurry to listen to the word of God be in a hurry be quick to hear God's word see when you're seeking God's wisdom in Christ and you're listening to God's word things happen But you can't stay in the vacuum and you can't say, now that's all there is to the picture. I'm going to seek God's wisdom and I'm going to hear his word and everything will work out in my life because you'll be missing one of the most important elements. And that's people. We live in a world of people. We are people. And God wants people to be engaged with people. And so if you 
seek God's wisdom in Christ and you listen to the sufficient word of God, you will willingly receive godly counsel. You will willingly receive Christ-honoring counsel. You will take good advice. You will seek and cherish godly wisdom. That's what you'll do when you seek God's wisdom in Christ and when you listen to his word because his word's gonna continually point you, point you back to the body of Christ, to his church. And then you will get to the point where you must trust someone else. You must risk being hurt. You must do so because you have decisions to make in life and you have quandaries you are in and trivial things that are getting magnified beyond their level of importance and you have peer pressure now if you're one of the kids amongst us today and I love it when kids are in here with us let me just say I know that we talk a lot about kids having peer pressure but let me give you some hope kids it's going to get worse when you get older let me just set your mind at ease here uh, uh, peer, adult peer pressure is the worst kind We stress ourselves out over all these decisions we're supposed to make, big ones, little ones. And there are agendas at work. There are motives at work. And there's people's neediness at work. And there's people politics going on. And let's just say that everyone involved is totally sincere. That's not possible, is it? Let's say everyone involved is 85 to 90% totally sincere but it will still be so tough to know what to do. It will still be so tough to know what to do, to know how to cope and survive and thrive in the middle of your messy life. We all need advice. We all need advice. We all need to seek godly counsel. You gotta ask a trusted advisor, what would you do in this situation? What do you think I should do? But sometimes we're looking for advice, we look in the wrong places. Like, like we mentioned in, in Isaiah eight nineteen, they were going to spiritually harmful things. I went to spiritually harmful things before I knew any better. But if I go there now, it's a stricter condemnation. Now, go with me to First Kings twelve. You got to see a sad story with me. King Rehoboam, First Kings twelve. King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Who was Solomon? Only the wisest guy on earth. He had a fool for a son. Fool for a son. King Rehoboam. This is just one more thing in the Bible that shows us you can't go on the fumes of your parents' spirituality. You've got to have your own faith and you're going to be judged for your own sin. L- listen to what Rehoboam did. First of all, the people come to him and they ask him, seems very sincerely and humbly, please lighten the load for us. Your father gave us a heavy load. Please make it easier on us and we will serve you our entire lives. And so he goes, look at verse six. He goes and takes counsel with the old men. Always a good thing to do. The old men who had stood before Solomon. So Solomon's wise counselors. He did something good here. Rehoboam went and took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was still alive and said, how do you advise me to answer the people? 
That was a wise move. But what happened next was not. Here's what happened. They gave him good advice. They gave him good advice. They said, look, you tell the people, I'm with you. I'm going to do what you asked, and they're going to be with you forever. But Rehoboam ignored their counsel. Ignored their counsel. Verse 8. He abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? See, he, he was angling. He was driving he was driving the equation towards what he wanted. He didn't want to hear what the old men had said. And the young men, verse 10, who had grown up with him, said to him, Thus you shall speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. He disciplined you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. He took the wrong advice. It blew up on him. It was the wrong thing to do. See, sometimes our minds are, are so made up, we already know we're, we're not going to change. Francis Bacon said, There is as much difference between the counsel of a friend that giveth and a man that giveth himself counsel as there is between the counsel of a friend and a flatterer because we flatter ourselves. We tell ourselves we're right when we're wrong. Hunter Thompson said, No man is so foolish that he may sometimes give another good counsel, and no man so wise that he may not easily err if he takes no other counsel than his own. He that is taught only by himself has a fool for a master. Proverbs 28, 26 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The fool is going to seek people who agree with him rather than seeking truth or rather than seeking what is best. Sometimes it's because we want permission to do the thing we know we probably shouldn't do. It's like this. Kids, let's say you have a bag of candy bars. You say to your mom, Mom, can I eat this bag of candy bars? And she's going to say to you, No, you cannot eat this bag of candy bars. Give them to me. (laughs) And... Then you go to your friends and, and you say, do you think I should eat this can- bag of candy bars? Well, of course you should. And share them with me. A- adult, it's like, or anybody who's old enough to get one, I guess. Let's say you say you want an iPhone 5. Okay? And you say, I want an iPhone 5. I got the 4S, but I really need the lighter phone because my arm is getting, you know, out of sorts because I'm carrying around this heavy phone that's one ounce heavier. And, and, and it's not fast enough and all that kind of stuff so you say I gotta have an iPhone 5 even though you know you don't have 200 or some bucks in all the two years of other things you'll be paying and so you, you, you go to a bunch of friends you know that went and got the iPhone 5 now what are they going to tell you well sure you should go get that you need that you deserve that approval validation enablement I had one time when someone came to me it was in another city, it wasn't here. And they said to me, I want to divorce my spouse. I said, no, you shouldn't do that. They said, no, I, I want to. And I said, well, why? And they gave me these lame reasons, that nothing biblical in the reason whatsoever. They said, I want to divorce my spouse. I said, no, you should not do that. So they went 
And they went and found counsel with other pastors who would tell them to do it. And they came back. This person had the nerve to come back and say, well, I found 15 or 20 other pastors. I called on the phone, and they said, I'm justified. I said, you shouldn't do that. They wouldn't listen. When you have your mind made up already, it's really hard to change your course. You've got to be open to listen to wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, people fall but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice, accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. It's like a cloud of witnesses around you. If you've got godly uh, counsel people in your life, you have a gift from God, a gift of his sovereign grace. It's like a quiver full of helpful arrows. That's what I feel like I have at this church and, around, and people around the world. I've got people in my life that I can call or walk up to at a moment's notice that will help me figure out what should I do in a certain situation and give me wise counsel. And I know because they've helped me before and they've given me wise counsel in the past. So their track record is pretty good. It's like Priscilla and Aquila giving Apollos counsel and advice in Acts chapter 18. It's like Paul's words of wisdom to Timothy. Proverbs 20, 18 says, Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. But 1 John 4, 1 warns us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Be careful who you're getting your counsel from. Be careful what you call wise counsel. So who do you go to for counsel in your life? Where do they get their advice? Are they working off of a biblical, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring worldview? Are any of your counselors from this church? If not, that's not a good sign. They should be. Some of them should be from your local assembly that you're a part of. But how often do you go to someone who will just tell you what you want to hear? You steer the, the conversation towards what you want to have happen. I mean, there are a lot of people that will say, you know what, my life is messed up right now. Uh, I've stopped going to my church, and now I just need to go to a counselor. No, you need to go back to your church, make up with the people, and seek God's wisdom in Christ Listen to the word of God and then seek godly counsel from other people. And by the way, it's not bad to go to a professional counselor. A lot of people need it, and I'm not opposed to it whatsoever. But there are a lot of people in every church who know their Bible and who have the Holy Spirit in them who can give wise, biblical, Christ-honoring counsel. But it's a process that sometimes you've got to wait for. What we would like to do is go somewhere where someone who really doesn't know us in our life will give us a word that makes us feel better about ourselves. You've got to remember that Christ's process of sanctification takes time, and it's got to be in context of community with other believers. And sometimes you must wait for the answer. Sometimes you will not get the quick microwave answer that you desire. One last thing, and then the worship team will come back up, but I just want to mention one more thing. It's not just about receiving wise counsel. I know that it's so easy for us to think about just ourselves and what's going on with us and getting help through life. 
but it's also about giving Christ honoring counsel. It's like Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it's better to give than to receive. Well, that's the only place in the Bible that verse is, is, is at. He's quoted in Acts chapter 20. It is better to give than receive and apply that even to giving counsel, receiving counsel. It's, it's, it's good to give faithfully Christ-honoring counsel to others. To say what you need to say. When, when you're asked, and even maybe when you're not asked, to humbly and, and lovingly admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted in hearted and help the weak, as 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says. Got to be available to other people. Be there for them. And so when their agenda and the Bible collides, you've got to be firm and tell them the truth. And resist the temptation to, to keep from lovingly speaking truth due to fear, due to thinking that they're not going to like you anymore. Consider the approval of Christ as greater than the approval of man. And then faithfully and lovingly and humbly give Christ-honoring counsel. I've had many friends who have willingly done that. And I do believe it is a gift of sovereign grace in my life. I like encouraging you. And I just want to say that in this church, I I'm keep observing believers who are willing to seek godly counsel and believers who are willing to give godly counsel. Keep growing in that is good. The temptation the inclination we have is, is really to discount someone else's counsel. But then when we give the counsel, to be hurt if it is not followed to a T. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the one we need to go to. He reveals the truth we need. He's the answer to all of our problems. We're often confused. But he's the wonderful counselor. Who tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Scripture says God is not the author of confusion. He's a, he's a God of order. And Christ will not lead you astray. He will not bring you into confusion. He is the, the one that you need to make an appointment with this week. I think every one of us needs to make an appointment with a counselor this week. The wonderful counselor. Sit down and spend some time with him. Pour your heart out to him. Open up and tell him what's going on because there is no pain that he cannot mend there is no issue that he cannot solve he is the wonderful counselor he is the one that Isaiah said would carry our sins he's the one that Peter says bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness because by his wounds we have been healed Peter said you were continually straying like sheep but now you have Return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Go to Jesus. Listen to his word. Receive godly counsel from others and then give godly counsel as well. Lord, thank you for this time and thank you, Lord, that we have you as our wonderful counselor. Lord, it's our desire that we would fall in love with you, Lord Jesus, so deeply that we would go to you first and foremost with everything especially our praise. And Lord, keep us from the tendency to glorify human counselors, 
But Lord, help us to remember that this title, Wonderful Counselor, has as its core the idea that we are to glorify you above all as God Almighty. And we thank you. Amen.